Good morning. So, oh, for those of you that don't know, me, don't know me, I'm Joey. I'm the next gen pastor, so I get to hang out usually down the hallways with your kids. And so I thought we would bring a little flavor of what they would do to the stage. Is that okay? Yeah. So some of that is like you responding like, yeah, that's okay. Like making noise, like acting like this wasn't daylight saving Sunday. So let's go. My son slept all night for like the fifth night in a row. So we're like partying at my house. And um, yeah, so uh, good morning. If I, I was debating with Kevin about this. I don't know like if I'm on the beach, if I'm watching church this morning, but if I'm in the car, I am. So hi, road trippers. Um, and if you're at home, good morning, welcome. You can go get your own candy and things like that if you want, if you're at home. So today, yeah, today we're just all together in here. And we thought it would be fun if we took the Grace Kids lesson and taught it in here. So the K, like kindergarten through fifth grade lesson is what was the foundation of the message today. Isn't that cool? And that, met, that series that they're in is actually called Puzzled. And they're starting it, they would have started it today, they're starting it next week. And so the, the big idea of their series in April is believe there's a bigger picture. So if you download that Parent Q app, you could see this in there. It's kind of fun. And the idea is that we want our kids to understand and believe that like there's a bigger picture and that, that God is in control. So that's what's going on back there and what we're doing today. One of my favorite things and my wife's favorite things to do on vacation is to do puzzles. We like to do puzzles. And we like to do them because it's really fun to take, like, the framework of every piece and put them together and figure out where they all go. And we have to do them on vacation because we have a cat. Um, our cat's name is Reggie. This is Reggie a few years ago in my not mowed grass. And he doesn't like to leave things alone on the table. Does anyone have a cat? Does your cat leave things alone on the table? Surely not. Um, and so we don't do puzzles at home because if we did, we'd be missing pieces. And if, you, if you're a puzzler, nothing's more frustrating than getting to the end of a puzzle and missing like two pieces. <laughs> it's the worst. I think we found a puzzle piece when we moved a few years ago under like our rug in the kitchen from when we tried one at home. Bad idea. So I thought it would be fun if we did some puzzles in the room together. So I've got some word puzzles, and here's the deal. Oh, this is the student ministry's candy bowl. Um, there's good things. It's never too early for candy. So we have like Sour Patch Kids and Airheads. And so I've got three word puzzles. They're kind of challenging, but if you think you know the answer, raise your hand, run up here, and we'll see if you do, and we'll give you candy. So go ahead. You're in a place called Wally's World. There's only one rule. There's a mirror, but no reflection. There's pizza with cheese, but not sausage. There's pepper, but no salt. There's a door, yet no entrance or exit. What is the rule? Anybody know? It's hard. Do you know? Double letters. Let's see what the answer is. It's the next slide. Trick. Double letters. You have to come get candy. That's the deal. You don't have to keep it for yourself, but you have to come and get it. I don't know many middle schoolers that don't keep it for themselves, but a Twizzler. Just pick the boring candy. It's okay. All right. It's not your fault. This is the easiest one to grab. All right, next one. We've got three of these, so you still have more chances. Billy left home running. He ran a distance and then turned left. 
ran the same distance and turned left again, ran the same distance and turned left again. When he got home, there were two masked men. Who were they? Anybody know? You got it? What is it? An umpire and a catcher. Let's see. That's right. You have to come get candy. I know. It's the rule. It's the rule. I don't make the rules. I just play by them. I could throw it at you, but I'd probably miss and, like, hit somebody else. And, yeah. Boom. A Jolly Rancher. That's better. That's better. That's better. This is pretty fresh. Is this fresh candy, Stephanie? Yeah, okay. It's fresh. So sometimes you get to the end of the big Costco bag, and it's like, ooh, that's the harborist. Could have broke my tooth, but it didn't. All right. Last slide of the game. What five-letter word becomes shorter when you add two letters to it? Yes. Short? Come, come on. I think that's it. Yeah, that's smart. That one got me the first time I did it. Yeah, Sour Patch Kids, he's on it. He knows. I'm going to just put this down nice and gracefully. It's all the candy for now. I know. We might have more later. So the idea of there being a bigger picture, the thing we're going to try to instill in our kids all month is easy to say, but it's really hard when life is tough, right? Like if you are having a hard time because you didn't get like the part you wanted in your play or your musical or on your sports team or if you had to say goodbye to a pet that you really liked and cared about or if you lost your job, like it can be hard for you to see that the bigger picture and like believe in the bigger picture. So whatever your situation, the invitation from today, the whole message we're going to talk about is that we want to invite you to trust in God for the bigger picture. And the whole passage of the Bible we're going to look at today talks about this. It, it's one where Jesus helps a few friends overcome a big problem. And it's in the book of John, chapter 11. So if you have a Bible, open it up, John chapter 11. It's page 892 in the House Bibles. You can get the Grace Fishers app open, and it's in there. And while you're doing that, I'm just going to give you some context about this passage. So... I'm going to take a drink of water first. We're in the kids' space, right? So it's good. Okay, so some context of this passage as you pull it up. This book, which is also the book of John, is known as a gospel, and it does not name the author. But most scholars think that the author was John, the Apostle John, and that he wrote it late in the first century. So it was the last of the four gospels to be written down. And the book of John was written different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the other three Gospels, and was likely written differently on purpose. Many of the same stories are told in the first three books, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but John, it seems like he tells the stories that he wanted to make sure didn't get left out. Like, he, he had read theirs, and he was like, oh, I don't want to miss these. He, he just wanted to make sure that the important ones got caught. And so that's kind of some of the context. A, a theme in John is this reality and revelation, it's a big word for me, but reality and revelation of God's glory. And this guy, this author, his name is N.T. Wright, and he, I'm paraphrasing him, he says, he said that Matthew teaches to the synagogue, Luke teaches to the outside world, Mark challenges the disciples, 
but John speaks from the mountaintop. So he, sp he speaks from the mountaintop. It's a different viewpoint. And another thing about John's narrative is that the story that we're looking at, if you've got your Bible open already, is the story of Lazarus. And it's the last story of a bunch of signs that happened through the book of John where Jesus is saying who he is. Like, he's saying who he is, and he's showing what he can do. And in this story, we're looking at this last great miracle that he performs before he's crucified. So the Pharisees, who were the religious leaders, they weren't big fans of Jesus. I think that's the nice way to put it. They weren't big fans of Jesus. He pushed on their rules, and more importantly and more disturbing to them, he drew in big crowds of people, and that was a problem for them, and they wanted to stop that problem, and they were looking for a reason. So in John 11, where we pick up, he had just been arguing like a few chapters before in John with the Pharisees and, the, and the, even the Jews, and, and they tried to stone him. They tried to throw rocks at him and hurt him, and so Jesus and his disciples had just left the town of Jerusalem where the Pharisees and Jews were doing this in. So that's where we pick up the story. So John 11, verses 1 through 3. We're going to, like, look at a couple verses, talk about it, look at it, talk about it, because I don't know about you, but kids and students have short attention spans, and I'm one of them, and so it's easier to, like, do a little bit at a time. So that's what we're going to do. So here we go. Uh, read this with me. A man, I'll read it, but read along. A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother, Lazarus, was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. So here's what we can learn or what, from this passage, what we know from this passage. Bethany, the town that they lived in, was a small village that was like two miles east of Jerusalem where Jesus and the disciples had just left. They went farther away from where Bethany is. Jesus was across the Jordan River when he heard about Lazarus, which was more than a day's walk from Bethany. Okay, how far do you think a day's walk is for us? Anybody? Eight? Eight miles? 20 miles? That might be more like what it was because I think... Back then, they walked more than we do, and so they probably, like, could walk farther than we walked. So let's say 20 miles away. The point is, it would have taken them a long time to get there. So that we know that. We know that Lazarus was sick, and we know that Mary and Martha interacted with Lazarus on, or with Jesus on multiple occasions. I hope they interact with Lazarus since he's brother, but interacted with Jesus on multiple occasions. Think of Mary and Martha as some of Jesus' biggest fans. They believed in him. They were supportive of his work. And then the last thing we can learn from this that we're going to talk about is that Lazarus was a good friend of Jesus. He was a good friend. So here's what Jesus responds, how he responds to the message from Mary and Martha. John 11, chapter, verses 4 through 7. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next few days. And finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. So here's some things we can learn from this. Jesus wasn't, he wasn't panicked by the news of Lazarus. He knew the bigger picture. 
he knew that there was a plan and that the plan was that the Son of God would have to receive glory. We could talk for a whole sermon or maybe a whole series about what glory is and what the glory of God means, but today I want to dial it in for us. The Son of God receiving glory here in Jesus is Jesus' willingness to die for all of us. The Son of God receiving glory here is Jesus' willingness to die for all of us. The glory from this story would be the eventual death and resurrection of Jesus or the Easter story, what we're going to talk about more in a couple weeks. So our response to that, to his glory, can be and should be praise. Like what he did leads us to praise. What we just did in worship, what we'll do again later. And this miracle that Jesus is going to do, the bringing back of Lazarus to the dead, from the dead, it ensures that Jesus will have to suffer and die. The miracle he would perform, it's the tipping point in forcing the necessary outcome. Does that make sense? Cool. If I'm Mary or if I'm Martha, here's what I'm thinking right now. Like, why aren't you coming and coming quick? We're your biggest fans. We're your biggest fans. I feel like, personally, that it's normal when I'm in my own situation, when I can't see the whole picture, the whole story, that it's hard for me to relax and it's hard for me to trust and it's hard for me to stay present. And I think the same thing is true for Mary and Martha in that moment. In verse 8, we're not even going to look at all of verse 8, and speeding us through slightly. Verse 8, it says, his disciples objected. They didn't want to go back to Judea because that was where they had just been, and in their minds they had just run from where people were trying to hurt Jesus. Why would they want to go back? And Jesus' response is one that isn't that surprising to us. He gives kind of a weird answer, and then he says, let's go. And so here's what he says in John 11, 9 through 11. Jesus replies, this is to the disciples, like, we don't want to go. <laughs> There's 12 hours of daylight every day. During the day, people can walk safely. They can see because they have the light of this world. But at night, there's danger of stumbling because they have no light. Then he said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go and wake him up. So his disciples didn't get it because they couldn't see the bigger story. They, the full picture, if you will, they, they couldn't see it. And the metaphor that Jesus uses in response to them could be a, a few things. It could be a reference to God's wisdom. Like they would have known what he was referencing in the Old Testament. He could have been referencing Psalm 119, 105 that says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So it could have been that. It could also have been a reference challenging the disciples to trust Jesus' direction and not just do it themselves. The disciples like us, they naturally want to know the whole story. They want to know what's coming for them, what's over the hill, what's down the road. But Jesus is inviting them to walk one step at a time. He's inviting them to walk one step at a time. All right, you guys ready for a break? Mid-sermon break. You like, I got some tables. Um, thank you, Kevin and Vanna. Um, all right, I, would, I need to recruit... Um, Three people that think that they're good at puzzles. One, two, yeah, all three of you, come on up. And Kevin's number four. Kevin, come on up. Uh,
Whoever thinks they're the best at puzzles, come be over here with Kevin. Over here. Yeah. Who wants to be with Kevin? Yeah. What are your names? Jameson, Eliana, and Bennett. Give it up for them, my assistants here. So full disclosure, I got these puzzles on Amazon. I haven't looked at them. Maybe they're missing a piece. Who knows? Um, but here you go. So you guys, when I say go, you have the box. You have the front of the box to do your puzzle. You don't. Um, I do, but you don't. And they're not, they're little like 20-piece puzzles, but they're not easy. See? It's kind of fun. Uh, you also get candy when we're done, just so you know it's worth it. So, okay, ready? Three, two, one, go. If you need a break in the room, go ahead. This is an illustration to prove that it's hard when you don't, when you can't see the front of the box. I don't know if this will take 30 seconds or take 10 minutes, but we're here for it. unfortunate but it looks like they're maybe moving faster maybe it's easier without the front of the box there was one together no well yeah you're at, you're at the back side there Kevin the ones with the pattern are the back yeah in his defense the back side has like a texture oh 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 guys I'm wrong the front of the box is paying off Let's cheer for team front of the box so that this makes sense to everyone. Yes. Done. Wow. All right, give it up for our winners here. They didn't do bad. They got some of it done. You guys want some candy? You can choose your favorite. Yeah, if it's in here. If it's not in here, you can't choose it. You can't have any. You can't have any of it? No. Why? You can have those, right? Yeah, you can eat those for sure. You can just get it out of those braces later. Here you go. You, you're done, bro. Good job. I'm proud of you. Do you want some candy? Uh, here, I'll take this. Yeah. Yeah. All right, cool. Thank you. Um, it would probably be good to move the tables, Rev Kev, if you're okay with that. So the point of that, welcome back, is that it's harder to do a puzzle without the picture on the front, right? It's hard to just act like our life is going to be fine when we can't see the front of the box. But the invitation today is to trust that God can see the front, that he cares. And so there you go. Back to our passage, John chapter 11, verses 17 through 23. This is a long one. When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to console Mary and Martha in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you'd been here, my brother would not have died but even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. So here's some things we can learn about this from this passage. People thought that Jesus was late to save Lazarus from dying. 
in Martha and Mary's minds, he was too late. In the disciples' minds, he was too late. But not in Jesus' mind. Jesus was right on time for his plan. He was right on time for his plan. Four days was really important to Jewish thinking because it took four days in their perspective of death to be sure someone was really dead and they weren't just asleep. Like they'd already had the funeral service. They'd already said their goodbyes. They were already working through their loss. People had already come to grieve with them when Jesus showed up. So that's important. The other important thing to learn from this passage is that God's timing is not our timing. And it wasn't their timing either. Sure, it would have been nice for them to know his timing so they could adapt to his plan. But the invitation we have is to wait faithfully on him. So John chapter 11, verses 24 to 29. Let's keep going in the story. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises on the last day. Jesus told her, I'm the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she told him. I've always believed you're the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who's come into the world from God. Then she returned to Mary, who's in the house, and she called Mary aside from the mourners and said, The teacher's here, and he wants to see you. So Mary immediately went to him. So here's some things we can learn from this passage. Martha believes in Jesus as God's son. She believes. She's not happy that her brother died, but she still chooses to believe that Jesus is God's son. Her world is broken, yet she chooses to believe. And she also believes that her brother's going to go to heaven and live forever. And then she goes and gets her sister Mary because Mary needs to see Jesus too. And we'll continue in the story. It's going to get good here, real good. 11, 30 through 34. Jesus had stayed outside the village at the place where Martha met him. And when the people who were at the house consoling Mary saw her leave hastily, they assumed she was going to Lazarus' grave to weep. So they followed her there. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you'd been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people waiting with her, a deep anger welled up within him and he was deeply troubled. What have you, where have you put him? He asked them. Where have you put him? So here's some things we can learn from that passage. The text here that we were just looking at says a deep anger welled up within him. But instead of anger, uh, Brad Leonard or Brad Miller, Brad Miller, who's our teaching associate, told me this. He said, instead of anger, I want you to think about a, of a horse or a pig snorting because it's offended. You know, like I can't do it, but like, <laughs> like an animal snorting aggressively. You know what I'm talking about, many of you. Almost like Jesus is in a shocked or surprised state that all of this is going on. Like he can't believe this is happening. Think of his reaction in that way, not in like an angry way. The other piece of this text that's important to look at is it says that Jesus was troubled. He was troubled. So when you see troubled, think of someone who's like stirred up, you know, like worked up about something. Possibly because he was stirred up by his interaction with Mary 
it wasn't because Mary accused Jesus. It was because of Mary's emotion. Lazarus was Jesus' friend, too. Like, Jesus didn't want Lazarus to die, but it had to happen this way, right? It had to happen. And he was shaken up because he was being blamed for not saving Lazarus when he was about to save him. He was being blamed for not saving Lazarus when he was about to save him. So he came to this place to, re to rescue Lazarus, and making sure that Lazarus was dead before Jesus brought him back was part of the plan. It had to happen this way. John 11, 35 through 39. says, they told him, Lord, come and see. And then Jesus wept. The people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him. But some said, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb, a cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. So here's some things we could learn from this passage. Jesus might have wept because he was grieving with those who were grieving. Jesus himself was also sad. He loved Lazarus. He doesn't like to see the people that he loves hurting. So he kept his anger to himself if he did have it. And Brad Miller, he said that in Greek, the word anger that's right here in this passage in Greek said, that it was in himself. So no one knew that he was angry. He allowed their questioning. He allowed their doubting. He allowed their blame. His tears might have been his anger like flowing out of him. Does anyone ever cry when they get angry? Sometimes I do. The people thought that if Jesus wanted to save Lazarus, he would have already done it. But it was better this way. It was better this way for the glory of Jesus that was going to come. For the plan to happen, this is what had to happen. So the people near Jesus, including Mary and Martha, they couldn't see the front of the box. They couldn't see it. All right, last passage we're going to look at, John eleven thirty nine to 44. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested. When he said to roll the stone away, she protested, Lord, he's been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. And Jesus responded, didn't I tell you? that you would see God's glory if you believed. So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of all the people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. And then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. I imagine he like shouted it. You guys want to shout it? Just for fun. Kids, let's shout it together. One, two, three. Lazarus, come out. It's fun. Didn't plan that. Just felt good. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a head cloth. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. So here's what we can learn from this. Jesus was reminding Martha to believe she was worried about the smell, and he was focused on saving her brother. Jesus prays out loud for the sake of the people around to hear him. He had to do it publicly because this miracle had to be seen. It had to be seen to bring about the plan, to bring about the glory of the death and resurrection that would come. So what can we, people of Fishers, Indiana, do with this story 
2,000 years later? Like, how does it affect us 2,000 years later? I have a few thoughts, and I would invite you guys to talk about this with who you came with or your small group or whatever as you leave. But here's my thoughts. We are invited to see his glory both in the story and today. We're invited to see his glory. This story was written down for us to see, for us to think about, for us to respond to, and we're invited to, to see it in the story and today. So that's my first thought. The next thought I had is that we can trust that Jesus has the front of the box, that he is the front of the puzzle, and that he knows where the pieces go. This one's hard for me. I'm sure it's hard for some of you to like look at your life and trust that he cares, even if you didn't get the part in the musical or the play or on the sports team that you wanted, or even if you're feeling sad about the pet you said goodbye to, or that even if you lost your job, that he cares, that he's in control and he's constantly at work with your life. Another thing that I took away from this personally is that we can have hope. We can have hope because Martha believed in Jesus as the son of God, even though her brother had just died. She believed even though that point in the story, Jesus hadn't brought Lazarus back from the dead, she still had hope. And so I think we can have hope. Another piece to take away from this is that we can lean into our people. So when Lazarus died, Mary and Martha weren't doing it alone. All these people showed up at their house to grieve with them. And then they all came out of the house because they thought they were you know, headed to the tomb. So whether it's your small group or your parents or your best friend or whatever, we, I just want to invite you to lean into your people. Lean into your people. And then the final thing is that we can be reminded that he's powerful, that the God that we serve, that we love, that we're in relationship with, he is powerful. And he created the world, big picture, and he cares about the details of our life, small picture. God has the power to work the good things out in our life even when we don't have to walk through the difficult or challenging, something we don't fully understand, when we, when we walk through that, he still has the power to make it good. This story reminds us that God's more powerful than death. So whatever happens in your life, remember how powerful God is. Our memory verse this month, we do memory verses in Grace Kids, is John 16.33. John 16:33, and so I thought it'd be fun if we got a jump start on all the spring breakers and learn this verse together. So here it is up on the slide. It's in this world, you will have trouble, but be encouraged. I've won the battle over the world. That's our memory verse. So the way that I best learn memory verses is I say it out loud a few times, and then, and then I come back to it, write it down, put it on my mirror, whatever. So we're going to practice saying it out loud real quick. So do you say it with me. In this world, you will have trouble, but be encouraged. I have won the battle over the world. Let's do it one more time. In this world, you will have trouble, but be encouraged. I have won the battle over the world. Let me pray for us, and we're going to close with some worship. Jesus, thank you for this story in the Bible. Thank you that John captured it in this way so that we could see your glory now from that story. And please help us as we think about how this story can impact our own lives and our church as a whole. Help us love each other well this week. Help us lean into our relationships and our community. We love you, Jesus. Amen.